0: The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Tonight's Shapeshifter is in the mining business. Dr. Nombasa Tsengwa started her career in the mining industry in 2003. Uh, she was at Kumba Resources as the general manager for safety, health, and environment. Uh, there was the unbundling um, of Kumba, and then that created Xaro Resources, and she became the executive general manager for safety and sustainable development she today is the chief executive uh, of exaro resources has been in that job for the last year but before that uh Numbasa, at some point there was a bit of time at the csir there was a bit of time at the department for environmental affairs just bring us up to speed a little bit on life before kumba and before exaro
1: Well, thank you very much, Bruce, for inviting me to your show this evening and obviously uh, greetings to your listeners. It's always a privilege to be on your show. Uh, You're reminding me of a time uh, which is almost 20 years ago um, when I started my career as a lecturer uh, because I had just finished a PhD in genetic engineering and thought that I could make it in the academic world. And I realized that uh, I cho- in fact, I chose to be a field scientist and join government on a strategic uh, projects, which I really r- realized that I liked working with people. I was not a person to sit in a laboratory uh, pushing uh, scientific studies. Um, I liked to be out there sharing ideas and actually realized that I was a lateral thinker and I was really excited by the problems that government was solving in you know, those were early days, you know, post-1994. And one of the exciting projects which I took on was the Foresight project looking after agriculture, agro-processing in the Department of Art, Culture, and um, Science, which then linked me to the work I did with the CSR, um, advancing biotechnology futures. And also uh, joining the Department of Environmental Affairs and Tourism at the time under Minister Vali Musa, as you know, Vali oh. is a very ins- you know inspiring individual and pushed me for three years to believe that um, if I were to join the mining industry or any industry that is polluting uh, or extractive, as the mining industry, I had the ability to turn it around or make a difference. And when this opportunity came before in 2003 to join Kumba Resources as General Manager of Safety, Health and Environment, I thought it was the greatest opportunity to go and do exactly that. Where I believe that um, mining companies at that time, the standards on environmental stewardship was quite low And I thought that it was the right person to actually lift those up. So that's why I'm excited today to see the journey to have come up to here.
0: Uh, we'll, we'll talk about environment, we'll talk about mining, we'll talk about the consequences of, of mining in society. It's a deeply complex discussion, of course it is. Um, but before we yeah. get there, that shift from, from government into corporate, was it, um, was it natural? Was it easy? At what point did you do the PhD? Because you got that squeezed in somewhere as well.
1: Absolutely. Look, I did PhD uh, in the United States well before I came back uh, to take on the lecturing position at the University of Pretoria, as I've mentioned. Okay. And I did that through a scholarship, which I received from the United Nations. And it was at the time South Africa was still, you know, under apartheid rule. And we got uh, say what they call bursaries of merit or scholarships of merit to go and study in America. And I was very fortunate to do a master's degree in America. And then I didn't come back when I finished. And then I pursued the PhD in biotechnology at the University of Maryland in College Park, which is just outside of Washington, D.C. So those were interesting, exciting times. But uh, there was just more that was calling me back home.
0: And what, what, what got you on the path? I mean, who noticed your scientific prowess? You grew up in a, a very different country to the country in which we are in today. How did you get that journey into a, a position where you were able to get your scientific knowledge recognized to the point that scholarships became available?
1: So let's go back a bit uh, in my upbringing years being raised by a father who was a teacher and um, a perfectionist, and he became a school principal of the school, obviously, where I went, and became, you know, the inspector of schools and big things in education. Uh, He drove us as a family, uh, or let me say siblings, to succeed. My father's intention was always, you know, you can't get anything outside number one, two, or three in your class, If it's below that, then you are not achieving. So that's always been driving me, uh, Bruce, without really considering uh, that one at some point has got to consider this thing called a career, you choose a path of sorts. But I was driven by having to do this. And at some point, I realized that my father believed in uh, my brothers to be uh, the ones that could uh, succeed in science, who were made for science, and his girls were made for teachers' degrees or teachers' diploma, for that matter. So his view is that okay, once you finish your um, your your matric, we're sending you to a college, teachers' college, and then you can go and teach. But my brothers were going to universities, and there were, you know, channels to do scientific degrees, and I think that was his biggest mistake. Uh, because I had to prove my father wrong. Um, And I can tell you when he died in 2011, you know, he had really uh, eaten a humble pie many times. So I would say that it was (laughs) shaped by my father's, it was shaped by my father's, uh, you know, unfortunate uh, patriarchal uh, upbringing and his values at the time. Um, And I can tell you, when he sent me to, he said, go to a teacher's college, which was outside of Mtata. I took an opposite direction. I went to the University of Transky, and he made a mistake because he was sitting in the council of the University of Transky. And I went to the chairman of the council to say, hello, Mr. X, I am Mr. Tsengwa's child, and I'm looking for admission." And he calls my dad and says, but your daughter is here. She says that she's looking for admission here at the university. And my father was so embarrassed because I had already gotten a 750 rand check from my mother for registration. My mom and I had this understanding. She gave me this check for registration at the university and my father could not do otherwise and he realized that I was a different child, um, problematic in a nice way, because um, you know, even though I was a bit defiant, um, I was still quite progressive in doing so. And that's but It's, really it's, it's where wonderful, my isn't it? Started.
0: And 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 he had the good sense also to recognize that in you to say, look, okay, terribly sorry. And as you said, Neo Cooper. All the way to his deathbed, um, just you know, acknowledging that you know he had it was born in a different era and had different levels of expectations. I think that's the the kindest way of, of looking at it. The, the time that's at easy. at, uh, at Kumba and and then at Xaro, um, and rising through the corporate ranks. I mean, nowadays more women are in senior positions in mining than at any other time in history. Um, but in those days, you were very rare. I think in many respects.
1: Yeah. Look, I must say that I'm very proud that uh, we've got four women, uh, I can say, proudly, you know, have been CEOs together with me in this era. Uh, Nombumalelo Zekalala, as you know, listed, Kumba, Iron yep. O, and Natasha Fillion, who has just exited Anglo Platinum and Albertina, who has uh, been heading uh, Real Bafuking uh, Holdings. So being four compared to when I started is extremely encouraging, uh, Bruce, uh, because it's demonstrating that it can be done. And uh, I must say that, you know, the times then, the argument was always been, we can't find women. That was the time I joined up to now where we say, Uh, We have women in these positions, but we need more. Uh, How do we get more? Because the system never built the feeder, you know, in terms of numbers that could have flown and be more representative today. Yes, there's 12% representation of women in the industry today. And for Exaro, for instance, we exceed that. In leadership or management levels, we're at 16% going at 18% the last time I checked. So different times. And for me, uh, if we could really succeed in making sure that we drop this awareness that I am entering an industry and I'm a woman and focus more on what works in the space where I am. What makes, if you're an aspiring person, you've got to ask yourself, what will make me successful in this environment? What do, What are men doing for them to be successful? And that's the kind of attitude and philosophy that I adopted. I came in very gung-ho, very positive attitude, you know, uh, saying I can do this. When I walked into Exaro, and you won't believe this, I walked into Exaro very young. And I looked around the space and I thought, you know what, I'm going to be a CEO here. I'm going to be the CEO of this place. But I thought I'd be a CEO at 45. Um, And I didn't know that there was just so much more to learn, so much more culture and also more discipline of mining that I had to go through Mm -hmm. for me to Mm -hmm. convince the industry, my my, my stakeholders uh, and the board members that I was the right person to lead. So different times, better times, but not the best.
0: We're talking to Dr. Nombasa Tsengwa, who is the chief executive at Exaro. She's been in that top job for the last year. We're talking about mining. We're talking about coal mining. Uh, coal mining has a, a, a justifiable reputation in terms of its... Uh, footprint in terms of its carbon footprint and what it stands for and what it does and how she positions herself and the work that she does in terms of minimizing the negative impacts of coal and how you transform a coal business into a business that's still relevant 20 years from now. That's still to come with Dr. Nombasa Tsangwa, Chief Executive at Exaro in a moment. The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Nomasa Tsengwa is the chief executive of Exaro. What sort of... activism do you face, Nombasa, on a a regular basis as a fossil fuel producer, a fossil fuel producer who exports um, coal to different parts of the world as demand uh, is there? We, of course, in South Africa, big burners of coal to ensure our energy supply. But we're seeing activism around the world, particularly the just stop oil type of activism where people glue themselves to roads and all sorts of things. Do you get that sort of resistance as a coal producer?
1: Absolutely. We get it, you know, more regularly now than we have, I'd say, maybe compared to about five years ago. I think the the, the the heat is up and this often gets played out, you know, on different platforms and you will realize our AGMs becomes the hottest, you know, um, and we do believe and understand why. You know, we are under no illusion about the impacts of uh, CO2 emissions from coal. We understand what those externalities are in terms of the impact to the environment, the impact to people's health. So we take full responsibility for the liability and to the extent that it's not only yesterday that Exaro has uh, taken a position. In terms of really being a leader, you know, in environmental stewardship. So, um, as much as we had been watched over years, in terms of by now, obviously the, the the activists over how you manage, you know, your water resources, you know, how you deal with air pollution and all of that, even waste management um, and effluent um, release. We have seen now that the Focused in how are you dealing with your scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions, uh, which deals with, I mean, especially with scope three, which says, what are you doing with the product or what happens to the product, uh, your project in terms of emissions and impacts, for instance, for us, ESCOM and our scope three component is the highest Uh, of the total scope one, scope two, and scope three at Xero. Um, Scope one, yes, is what happens. Scope one and two is what happens within our operations. And we've got that direct uh, control of we could approach cleaner production uh, by talking to our OEMs, the producers of our equipment, our diesel equipment uh, that we use for extraction of coal, to do something to these emissions, uh, we can uh, is there? Use.
0: I mean, uh, Numbasa, this, this. I mean, we we know that the industry is striving to do better. We know that everybody wants to do better. We all live on the same planet. We all breathe the same air. We all drink the same water. We all understand the issues that 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 exist. There is some aggressive and yep. um, not particularly helpful activism but at the same time there's a realization that 10-15 years from now there may not be a market for your product anymore i don't know what your time frames are but i'm I'm picking i'm picking a shorter time frame what is your time frame
1: well we don't have a crystal ball uh, bruce and i must tell you i was talking at a conference today and i said i don't think it's useful for us to say is it 15 years is it 20 years because it changes every year One year you lose two years, another year, you know, Ukraine, Russia, Ukraine happens and you think that you've gained some years. I think what we need to focus on is how do we make sure that this transition happens uh, at a a pace that is reasonable, um, that is affordable, that is focused on results, taking people with us um, and for companies like us. Finding or growing the businesses by diversifying to other minerals which are going to be useful in terms of yeah. contributing to this and energy transition. And that's and the, that's the point, isn't it? I mean, Yeah, that's the point. I mean, it's
0: a a slow process because you don't want to be destroying a business that exists for a product that is rightly or wrongly in demand in many parts of the world, including in our own country. The transition away from fossil fuels is slower than many would like. Um, What are you doing to transform the business of, of, of Xara away from that? heavy dependence on coal and coal production and the export and sale of coal to other potential energy sources into the future?
1: We we are miners. We will always be miners. There's nothing wrong with what we do, which is called mining, and therefore we will always be miners, and we've chosen alternative Mm -hmm. uh, uh, minerals to mine. Uh, For now, we've chosen copper, manganese, and bauxite. And those three minerals, as you know, uh, will be required... In tons, more and more doubling in 2030 in the build up to the renewable energy uh, transition. So we have no doubt that we've got uh, good fundamentals ahead of us in terms of the demand uh, for these minerals. And we'll mine them. What else we're doing? We've always been a renewable energy company. Uh, We have acquired 50% of Tata Power uh, to form Synergy. Uh, which is an energy business, renewable energy business, which we own 100%. And we will grow that business to 1.6 gigawatts by 2030. What does that mean? It means as we, we're we solving for energy both ways, as coal becomes less important and the graph goes down in terms of this demand, we know that we will be growing our renewable energy stuck at home yeah. in terms of feeding those electrons into the South African greed which we know we have a deficiency uh, whilst with the money that we make out of our core business we intend to fuel that future we intend to fuel a future where we can acquire these assets we fuel, fuel a future where we can grow this business to an extent that from an energy perspective we get to those gigawatts that we're looking at both by acquisitions but also looking at this business-to-business you know, energy distribution, self-generation that we've started to embark on and we started with our own operations so that we can so much offset this CO2 as well as we mine today. So the summary is we will clean up coal production. We will try and produce those minerals that uh, will contribute into the future of the energy transition whilst we grow our energy business. And our intent is to be carbon neutral, by 2050.
0: Is it possible? Is it possible for a company that produces one of the the filthiest minerals on earth, um, to be blunt, um, to be carbon neutral by then?
1: Absolutely. Remember, I just mentioned to you our plan. You know, we've already done a lot in terms of reduction of emissions. We will have a challenge on scope three, but what we are required now, you know, we're mandated and by law is scope one, and scope two. I told you that is possible. However, I said to you, there is life beyond coal. And it will be in minerals that are not going to be emitting as much as what is going on today. And I don't think that our intent is to remain with such a footprint in coal. Yes, we may have to remain with the power station coal in Midupi and Matimba, you know, which is really a requirement for the country. But we have to make sure that we reduce our footprint to the extent that we can. But, uh, you know, are we always going to be a cold business forever in a a day? Maybe not, but we've got life beyond.
0: Dr. Nombasa Tsengwa, I find it fascinating the way in which companies are evolving and changing and transforming their business models, even as you can see that at some point, there's going to be the end of the road for the thing that you do. And it's in every single business, whether you need to digitize or whether you need to transform your your mineral production or whatever it might be. And, and the long-term nature of the thinking that has to happen in executive suites and in boardrooms across the world, I think, is, is quite startling. Because you're making big bets on the future when you make these decisions. And future generations are depending on you making the right calls. Big stuff. Thank you very much to Dr. Nombasa Tsengwa, Chief Executive at Ixaro.